hello. Okay, good. It's working now. Hello, this is the Angry GM. And this is not the Angry GM's mostly monthly live chat. Um, I'm glad I didn't switch back to calling them monthly live chats because it's been several months since I was uh, in a position to be able to do live chats. And um, this is not really a mostly monthly live chat either. This is uh, what I'm going to call a status update on me and everything I'm working on and what's going on and where the hell I've been and why things have been so delayed and what to expect for the future. And I also intend for this to be the last status update for a while because I have actually been putting out more status updates more regularly than I have been putting out actual content. And while I pride myself on being completely transparent, which I figure is part of the whole crowdfunding deal, that is when people are supporting you in return for your work, um, if things are not going as planned, at the very least, you owe people an explanation. You know, it's, it's part of my integrity. The problem is, at a certain point when people are supporting you, you owe them what you owe them regardless of the status, you know? Like, there's there's only so many times you can put out explanations, and it's really... Uh, well, I'll get to that. And part of the thing I'm struggling with right now is... It's a question that I've always struggled with, and that is how transparent do I need to be to satisfy my integrity, and how much do you deserve to know about my personal life insofar as it is affecting my work. And it's not a trivial question because at the end of the day, at any time, you deserve to know what to expect such that if it seems like you're not going to be getting the content that you are supporting for one way or the other, you have the right to make the choice to stop supporting and wait until that comes to you know fruition. So... I have to, I owe it to people to, to keep them informed. This is always the philosophy that I've operated under, just like I operate on the philosophy of I do not want to be supported with monthly pledges. You know, I don't want people flinging money at me just because I only want money if I am actually producing content. That's why I never switched my Patreon from per creation to per, um, you know, just per month. People do support me on a monthly basis, and you are welcome to do that. Patreon does allow you to do that by customizing your pledges and Subscribestar. That's the only way Subscribestar works. And you are also able to give me um, ple one-time pledges of support. There were links on my website to do all of that. But in the end, I have never wanted anything other than to put out an article and then get paid for it by people who think it's worth paying for. Okay. And that's important because in tonight's update you know, part of what's going on does involve some financial difficulties that I am now facing um, that may be extremely difficult depending on how things are going. And I hesitate to even throw, I, I hate to even talk about them because there are a number of people who then immediately respond by saying, well, how can we help? Let us do this, let us do that. And that is also something that I have never really wanted, you know. So I'm not going to stop anyone from doing that. I never have. But, you know, 
at no point do I ever want to be one of those um, uh, crowdfunded people who is coming and begging for money and saying, look, I'm in trouble, I need help, that kind of a thing. So, that you know, don't hear that in anything I'm about to tell you, okay? Um, but, so, okay. Um, obviously, the last couple of months, there have been a number of troubling updates on my website, starting with things like, I haven't been feeling well, I, you know... I've been struggling with health problems, and then all of a sudden, oops, I'm in the hospital, and then, oops, I'm in the hospital again, and then the silence for a month, um, except for articles thrown out at the end of the month, and then the final update on my website, the most recent update was something along the lines of, I've had a tremendous loss in my life, and I'm having difficulty dealing with that, and I realized that putting that out there and I was trying to be respectful of some people in my life by saying it that way, but it also caused a lot of speculation and it caused things to sound worse than it was. Um, it is also no secret that this year has been a very, very difficult year for me because actually um, things that hap are happening now started way back in January. And look, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to skip to the last part first, okay, because this is going to start being a, here's the story of what happened, woe is me kind of a thing, and frankly, I have nothing but respect for you if you don't want to hear any of that bullshit. I don't want to hear it, I don't want to do it, but, um, so if you just want to know the, the end result, I am still producing content, uh, I am tremendously far behind. Um, and for the next six weeks, I am going to be producing, you know, art, there, there are going to be four articles this month. There's going to be one next Wednesday, one next Friday, and then the following Tuesday, and then the following Thursday. So that's the 22nd, 24th, 28th, and 30th. You will see articles this month, and then in December, uh, I want to be putting them out on a weekly basis. Uh, I will not be moving forward any of my ongoing series right now, um, though that might not be entirely true. It is going to be one-off content, that is, standalone feature articles. It is not all going to be Ask Angries and Bullshit articles, okay? There's, there's actually some meaty content, and participants in the Discord... Um, they know, uh, you know, this morning that I did sort of a straw poll and it was like, hey, you know, what are some topics that you would like to hear me weigh in on? And there are some really good ideas in here and stuff that I would love to write about. Um, and also uh, maybe some ways to think about content in the new year also buried in this. Um, one thing I am definitely going to accomplish before the end of the year is the promised uh, social scene example. So that is coming. Uh, it may not be tomorrow or, you know, it may not be next week or the week after. It's going to be in here somewhere. Okay. It's, it's, uh, I just don't know where I can fit it. That's a bit, it's a bit more complicated than you might think to write it. Um, it requires a very different way of handling it than a normal article. Um, I am also going to give you what everybody keeps asking me for, and I am going to do the Stealth and Infiltration True Game Mastery article. 
It'll happen. It'll happen sometime in the next few weeks. When exactly? Again, I can't say. If you want to know why, you know, listen in after the, the content update. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff in here too, um, but that's that's the, the gist of it is in the next six weeks until December 31st, there will be eight articles. Um, and by December, I'm not going to, I can't keep cranking out four articles in a week and a half. That's uh, a killer killer schedule that I can't, I can't even, I can't maintain it. <laughs> it's worse than just coming out with one article a week. And I just keep getting pushed ahead. So, um, the true campaign managery, which is by the way, the correct pronunciation. Okay. Um, you, a, ma- a game master is a master of game mastery and a campaign manager is a manager of campaign managery. That's the etymology. This is just the English language, people. I, I know this has confused people terribly. It's campaign managery. That, it's, that's how it works. So true campaign managery will start in January um, and will proceed through the eight to ten-ish articles that I have planned at that time. Okay. Um, Angry Hacks, Tension Dice um, are also, they, I'll, I will come back to that. I know somebody even asked about it. We want the final Tension Dice thing. I want it too. I want it too because it, ha, it is the first article in a series of already sort of semi-outlined hacks that will build into the town mode stuff that I promised. And I don't want to leave that by the wayside. So it has to happen, and it if if it doesn't happen in January, I basically have to close up shop. Is that that's it? I have to I have to quit this game. <laughs> so you know, that's when it's good, but that's that's when it's going to have to be. Okay. Um, slapdash. Um, for those of you involved in slapdash and following slapdash, um, it is a two month project to get Slapdash to you. And initially when I said it was coming by Christmas, I said that in mid-October. Actually, I think I said that in early October uh, and then went to the hospital twice. I don't remember when I said it. Okay, Uh, obviously that's become kind of a disaster. So on the outside is, you know, I did say end of January is when I'd like to make it happen. So on the outside, it's gonna be January, February, right in that transition. Um, so it's, it is happening the, the initial slapdash adventure. Um, and what I have envisioned for it has not changed and I will give more information about it in dedicated channels since slapdash is something only those most dedicated and ardent supporters know anything about right now. Um, know that it it still exists and it is moving forward. It is kind of, Slapdash is actually the the way of Angry Games' future at this point. So it's it's the only way I'm going to evolve anyway. So here we are. Uh, Though the Angry Hacks is the other way I'm going to evolve. All right, that's it. That's, That's where work is right now. That's what to expect. As far as 
proofread alouds. Um, the biggest thing when I am on a really tight schedule is proofread alouds are very hard to manage. I'm gonna do my best to get them back on track. I would really love to go back and record some of the missed proofread alouds because I know people really, really love them. Um, I, I can't even promise that at this point. Um, and I, at the very least, the articles that come live in December will definitely have proofread alouds and I'd like to be able to do even the ones that I'm working on for the upcoming weeks. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And then I might try to catch up. Uh, it depends on the content though. Like, um, going forward in the future, like there is no way an angry hack will ever have a proofread allowed. It can't. Um, and the, the, this, the social scene example is not going to have a proofread allowed. Okay. Um, and that was a decision I made even before all of this, you know, when I said I was going to do the social example, uh, I cannot do a proofread allowed for it. It just cannot happen. Okay. That's it. Anybody who doesn't care about my life beyond that, um, is welcome to, ch uh, wait, 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 hold on a second. Uh, at this point, that is the content schedule for the end of the year. And next year is next year. And obviously true scenario designery will follow true campaign managery. So those will both happen in the next year, uh, you know, as they, as they fall. Um, if anybody feels that they have been, um, they have not received what I have promised at this point, and you are absolutely right to feel that way and feel that you are entitled to a refund of some or all of your pledges or that you need to step down your level of support or anything like that, do so with absolutely no hard feelings, okay? I, I do not, uh, you know, I, I, if you don't feel that I have earned your support, don't give it. I don't want it. Um, if you think some kind of a refund is in order, you know, contact patron.support at angry.games and I will talk to you about that uh, and we'll make it happen. Okay, I, I feel strongly about that, you know. And again, don't feel odd about asking for it. You, you know, you, you were promised things. They've been delayed. Uh, so fair's fair. All right. Now, the longer story, um, because there, there is more to this than just hospitalization and the mysterious loss in my life, though that's a thing. Um, in point of fact, I have been feeling since, uh, since last year, since 2022, that in some very important ways, I have lost my way as the angry GM. I have not been moving forward the way I had initially planned to. Um, my, I have been stagnating in terms of the content I've been putting out. And a lot of that is what led me to sit down last December, just, you know, a year ago now, just about, and work out the new content plan, which included the angry hacks. It included um, true campaign or yeah, true campaign mastery and everything around that um, and reinventing my writing style and, you know, um, basically trying to refine my way it was also supposed to include a physical tension dice product. 
Um, and ultimately even the republication of a book. I was even in talks with a publisher for a little while, but that fell apart to republish my, or publish a sequel to my book and in so doing republish the original. Then in January, um, Wizards of the Coast did all that shit with the OGL, which I'm sure at this point everybody remembers, even though it's like 11 months ago now, or 10 months ago now, and it seems like such a long time ago, and yet it still doesn't, because that affected my year terribly, because what it did, um, what most people don't know is that Wizards of the Coast was having back-channel conversations with the crowdfunding platforms, so that they wouldn't have to take direct legal action against any creator they wanted down. They would just have to make a call to say Patreon and say, hello, Patreon, this is Wizards of the Coast. And we just wanted to let you know, we are looking at this creator and under the terms of our new OGL, we think this creator is infringing on our property. Of course, the creator may feel differently and that would have to be worked out in court and we're considering what steps to take. But of course, Patreon, you might also want to consider whether you want to even be involved with such a creator. Because if such things were to hit the fan, who knows, you might be implicated somehow. Right, I see we understand each other. Okay, goodbye. And then click the button, you know, that creator is just shut down. No letter, creator doesn't even know about it, just shut down for mysterious terms of service violations. This is how shit happens, okay? Um. And while everybody else was screaming about what they could and couldn't publish and how, um, you know, all, all that stuff and how it was going to affect them, I know a bit about business and behind the scenes, I was insulating myself and I knew how to do it. I was actually in talks with Patreon, um, and let and talked to them. Um, but yeah, that's. That's the game that they wanted to play. And by the way, that is still a game they can play. When 6th edition comes out, okay, don't think this fight's over. It's not, okay? But that was what I was dealing with from January into February with that whole, I'm afraid that one day I will wake up and my income is just shut off. Um... Which, and this, this is part of the, this is the risk you take when somebody else controls, um, you know, you can, you, when you let somebody else control your, your, your link to your customers or what have you, you know, it's a kind of a question of what, you know, Patreon is so easy to set up and you can just get money directly, but how much control do you really have over this stuff? You know, it's the same for YouTube creators, by the way. It, I mean, YouTube creators have been dealing with this for, you know, ages because the same thing happens, you know, when someone wants to file a claim against a YouTuber or whatever, they don't, if they're big enough, they don't have to go through a legal process. They just have to be, you know, a thorn in Google's side enough for Google to say, ah, we don't even want to deal with this. And, you know, all the terms of service now are so vaguely written that anything is a violation of terms of service. Now, I have a whole other soapbox rant on this, but it's just 
So that was the nature of things, and it seemed like Angry Hacks was being threatened. And that was where the idea for Slapdash was born. That, fine, if I cannot hack safely Wizards of the Coast's game, then I will just make my own game. And originally, Slapdash was going to be D&D with the serial numbers filed off. It was going to be a replacement D&D because I know what I can get away with, you know. And the other thing, by the way, is you may notice that my articles for now, for now a couple of years do not appear in total on Patreon. My articles are published on my website. They are not published at all on Patreon. Uh, and that there is an important reason for that. And that reason is Patreon then is not responsible for what I publish. They're not hosting my work. A lot of creators just host their work directly through Patreon, which puts Patreon in this ugly middle ground position. Anyway, um, so that was what was going on. But in the background, um, while this was also incredibly stressful, um, and uh, my girlfriend, the tiny GM and I, uh, Allie and I, we had gotten engaged sometime before then, and we were saving for a wedding and hopefully going to move into a house someday. And all of that was going on in the background, but we were, she was facing a lot of trouble at work. Um, and I had this going on and suddenly there was a lot at stake and it became very stressful. At the same time, I started to get around March or April mysteriously ill, but not in like any sort of specific way. I was just feeling general malaise. I was feeling exhausted all of the time and um, fatigued. And uh, I felt, you know, many years ago I was put into the hospital because my blood, because I scored a high score on the blood pressure machine and a really high score um, and then discovered I was also diabetic. Uh, and I was starting to feel like that again. And I was starting to feel like I was going to end up back in the hospital. And it was affecting my ability to even take care of myself. Because I've always tried to live a very healthy lifestyle. And the reason I try to live a healthy lifestyle is because I discovered after 35 years of not living a healthy lifestyle, that that eventually catches up to you. And it puts you in the hospital with a high score on your blood pressure machine and an inability to ever process sugar again. So, you know. So anyway... So that was sort of the backdrop through which the whole year had been kind of operating. I came into the year with very, very high, you know, big plans and ambitions and everything. I was going to turn things around because I wasn't happy with the way things were going. And immediately within a month, the rug was pulled out from under me uh, for two months while the whole OGL thing was being cleared up. I was actually also moving and deleting files and changing the way I was hosting things and communicating with Patreon to let them know what was going on and, you know, how I was in compliance, um, you know, until I got them to basically agree, hey, if we do get that call, we're calling you. And then Wizards of the Coast said, no, JK, we're all friends again. And people sort of wonder why I wasn't willing to just be like, oh, okay, it's all good now. Everything goes back to normal. Yeah, yeah, no. Because I know how the game really works. Okay. Um, this by like, no, I'm not even going to go into that. I can, I can make this a social, cultural and political rant and I'm not going to anyway. So moving aside from all of that, 
all of this culminated um, at the end of September, beginning of October, with me going into the hospital. One night I woke up um, and my heart was shaking itself apart. I had what was called atrial fibrillation, which is where you're the, the basically there's a little electrical junction box in your heart that keeps your heart beating um, with a normal, healthy rhythm because your heart just doesn't squeeze and release. It's not just squeeze, release, squeeze, release. There's a reason why your heart goes lub-dub, 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 and that's because different parts of your heart beat at different times and they have to be in sync. Um, and the little electrical box that keeps my heart in sync had gone out of control. So every little part of my heart was just doing its own thing. Um, and I spent several hours with my heart beating out of control and out of sync in a in an emergency room before I was admitted so they could try to figure out what was wrong. In the end, the answer was, we don't know. Okay. Because Stress and lifestyle aside, at my age, with the health of my heart, let me reassure you, my heart is tremendously healthy. It has now been looked at up, down, and sideways. Um, my heart is healthy. It's not going to explode tomorrow. Um, but nonetheless, what happened remained unexplained, and when it happened again, also remained unexplained. However, I it does look like it is related to um, a problem with the machine I use to treat my sleep disorder, sleep apnea. Sleep apnea being a condition where while you are sleeping at night, your um, respiratory tract closes or relaxes or somehow becomes obstructed temporarily. Um, there's several different types of sleep apnea. This is mine, obstructive sleep apnea. Um, so that for just a moment, um, you are basically, you can't breathe. Uh, and then you, you wake up, except you don't really wake up most of the time. Um, it's not enough to fully wake you up. It just kind of brings you out of the deepest stages of sleep. So you wake up in the morning thinking you slept all night while really your brain and body got no sleep. Um, it's all related to the same shit. All of this is related to the fact that I did not take care of my body for 35 years. I did all of this to myself. I can't stress that enough. Consider me a cautionary tale, okay? Um, but nonetheless, uh, that puts a tremendous strain on your heart. I've been using a machine at night called a CPAP machine. It pressurizes the air, which basically inflates my respiratory tract. So if it tries to close, it doesn't. Um, uh, but for it does look like there was there is something going on that's preventing me from getting enough oxygen, even with the machine. It may have something to do with the machine. We're still looking into everything. But we have replaced some of the, the parts of the machine, and it does seem to be going okay, which means everything is probably going to be fine, and this was just a terrifying little once-in-a-lifetime whoopsie-doodle. Or twice-in-a-lifetime whoopsie-doodle, which is just great. So anyway, nonetheless, it actually took a hell of a lot out of me because I did effectively have my heart trying to rip itself apart twice in two weeks. Turns out um, that really... Um, is exhausting and it like it ravages you. So who knew? Um, so that is what threw off the schedule completely in October. And then following that, and I am still dealing with doctors and trying to, uh, trying to diagnose it and figure out what's going on. Um, and I have a separate rant about um, problems in our medical institution which also gets social and political, so I will stop that also. But 
Um, we ran into more financial difficulties here at home. And as of two weeks ago, Allie and I decided to um, end our engagement and end our relationship. And I am going to say, so it was a seven-year relationship. We have been living together for almost all of that time. And in that time, uh, obviously we were engaged. We were engaged for a little over a year. Um, had a lot of plans and we entwined our lives together pretty effectively. Um, out of polite respect, I am going to say that this separation is mutual and amicable, even though that glosses over a great deal of complexity. Um, but nonetheless, whatever it really was, I bear Allie no ill will. And if I hear of anybody, because I she is the tiny GM is active on social media in certain channels, and I know some of we have some of the same people following both of us. Um, if I hear of anybody making her miserable in any way, um, my last act on this planet will be making them regret it. Okay, this, this is not a please don't, this is not a don't go on a crusade on my behalf or a dog pile. This is, um, I, I will be furious with you and find a way to make that fury known. There, there is absolutely no reason for that. Okay, even if it was a really bitter, horrible, terrible breakup and we both ended up miserable and hating each other, uh, I, I would say the same thing. But I, this is the internet, it's 2023. I hope that I don't have to say that to my community, but it is the internet and it is 2023 and I have seen what internet communities do. Don't, okay? Number one, you'll be out of my community. That's number one. I don't, you could be supporting me at $300 a month I will shut you off in a heartbeat. Okay, I I have done it before for less. So anyway, that said, it was neither as amicable or nor as mutual as I would like, but it also is not unfriendly. It is just a terrible, terrible process now of pulling our lives apart, separating money, dividing up property, deciding who keeps what and who lives where. And it is coming at a time where neither of us are in a very good state to be restarting our lives. I am recovering from a serious mental illness and weighed down with hospital bills. And Allie has her own problems in her own life. So um, this is absolutely the worst time uh, for that kind of breakup. And I am not going to lie when I say um, it has affected me deeply. Um Emotionally speaking, um, I, it's, this is a very, very difficult thing. I have never been in a relationship this long or this serious. I've been in relationships, um, and I have been in some very powerful relationships that I felt very strongly about at the time, but I have never been in a relationship this strong, this serious, that came this close to marriage. Um, and it's, it's a thing, learning how to deal with it. Uh, and I'm also not asking for any advice or help or anything. Uh, I know my community loves to give me advice and tell me how to handle things and, or, or whatever. I don't, I don't want to hear it. You know, just let me handle this in my own way. I do have a few close friends in the community, um, who I do talk to and they have reached out to me and they're, you know, and I'm grateful for any well wishes and stuff, but you know what, like this one, keep out of, you now know what happened. You know what I'm going through. 
at this the, and it ceases to be your business at this point. Okay. Um, all of this is further complicated by the fact that it, this has left me in tremendous financial difficulty between the hospital bills and um, some of the um, other issues. Well, I mean, we were paying for a wedding, you know, non-refundable deposits. We poured money into that. Um, that money is all gone. Um, and there was also for, for many years, I was providing the primary support for both of us. Um, and, and that has left me in a precarious financial position. I'm now negotiating with a bank to help manage the funds. And really all I need is one good year of smart financial management and everything will be fine. But I am all like, it's right now, it is a three front assault on me because physically my body is sick and broken and I still don't know precisely why. Um, and that has to be worked out. Financially, I am on very, very, very shaky ground and waiting for, and just trying to figure out how to solve the problem. And emotionally, I have lost a seven plus year relationship and that's been the last six weeks. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, it's just, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard even getting out of bed in the morning and just doing things. Okay. And I was already struggling with depression as part of everything else that was going on before this. I have had, I have a history of dealing with depression. So this is, <laughs> you know, this is a, probably the darkest time I have been in, in 12 years of my life. And 12 years ago was when I was hospitalized and, you know, that was, that was uh, that. So, nonetheless, I don't want to give up on this. Um, I love what I'm doing. And Slapdash especially is something that I have come to believe in very strongly. And the few people who have had the opportunity to already experience it um, have given me nothing but positive feedback. I think it has excellent potential and I think moving forward on it is a very important thing to do because, you know, since, like, honestly, five years ago I published my book and that was supposed to be the first step in a series of things. Um, and obviously, you know, in the last several years, some things have happened in the world that have thrown us all for a loop, you know, and we all joke about um, having lost at least a year and a half of our lives in there somewhere. Um, and that's part of what I'm talking about too. When I say I kind of lost my way and realized it last year that I needed to find my way again, I stopped moving forward. I was just publishing content. I, you know, just, I became a content factory and I wasn't thinking about, you know, how to grow beyond that. And that was what this year was supposed to be. But, you know, you know, time and life make fools of us all. And all we can do is decide how to respond to the things that happen to us. I am deciding to move forward. I am deciding to keep working. 
But I'm also not going to lie and say that I'm going to be moving forward at a limp for a little while. Uh, I've taken a lot of hits and, you know, it's, it's hard to keep the speed up. So, and that's why I'm kind of looking for a way to just round out the year by putting out the articles I promised and, you know, move forward from there. At the same time, as all this was going on, my friendships with people have suffered. You know, um, I have friends in this community. I have friends that I run games for. And I have been very unreliable and often unavailable for a variety of reasons. And, you know, shot through in all of this, you can, you know, a relationship just doesn't end in a week. Okay. So when I say the relationship with Ali ended two weeks ago, there, you know, it, it has been not good for a while and that becomes consuming in itself. And we were trying very, very, very hard, but you know, it, in the end, it just, it wasn't, it might not be the right time. It might be that in six months, maybe, you know, we're going to have to stay in touch for a while anyway, for a number of reasons, but maybe in six months, we'll be in the right time in our lives again. And maybe if we both take time to work on ourselves, or it might not be in the cards and it might be that there is someone else, or it might be that I am not destined for that path. And I have no idea what it is. And that's scary. Um, because I defined myself by that path for a long time, but yeah. Anyway, I don't want to use this, this as therapy either. Okay. So, but I also do want to issue apologies to people who have been my friend and, you know, and have found me unavailable or not quite listening to them or, canceling things out and pulling in on myself. No matter what I'm going through, that's not the right way to treat the people that you care about the most. And the fact that as all this has been going on, people have just been drifting back into my life to say, hey, you know, are you okay? We care about you and all of that. So, you know, um, my Thursday night gaming group whose identities are still unknown to the discord, um, we had a lot of ups and downs because I've been very inconsistent and I feel very terrible about that. And I love running for them. They're one of the best groups I've ever run for. Um, you know, I guess in, of the many, many, many groups I've run for, I, you know, I'm not going to say like favorite, like least favorite or put anybody, but they're, you know, top, the top three top three best groups I've ever run for in my life. And the only reason I'm saying that is because, you know, I've been running games since I was 11. So that's like, well, that's 35 years now. So there's been a lot of people in there, but these people are amazing and I love gaming with them. They're a ton of fun. I now have a new group. I met some people who are local. And so for the first time I'm starting to run games in person. Um, and, you know, we were trying to start that up in September and that kept falling apart for reasons of, sorry, I can't run, run our first session. I'm in the hospital. So they were very, very patient with me too. We finally had our first session two weeks ago. Um, and so I'm just, basically I'm just trying to put all the pieces back together right now. That's what it is. Like everything broke. 
every everything you can possibly imagine except this community, it all broke. And now I have to figure out how to put together all the pieces, and that is a very daunting and overwhelming process, but it is a process that I'm not going to shy away from because the alternative is sitting there in the dark, surrounded by all the broken things, crying until you fade away into nothing. And I refuse to do that. So I want to, so while I'm doing this, while I'm recognizing and also apologizing to my gaming groups, I also want to recognize various people in this community. You know who you are. I'm not going to call that stuff out. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to put a spotlight on anyone because different people want to be recognized or not recognized in different ways. Um, there are those of you who have been very close to me and who we have had private conversations with and who we've been going back and forth helping each other. And I am tremendously grateful to those of you, you know who you are. Okay. I would not be going forward without you because you can't move forward without people in your life. Um, in the health and fitness club and the productivity club, there have been a bunch of people who have taken on the challenge with me of trying to get life back on track. And of course I started this before I went into the hospital. So that got derailed the first time. And then I started it again this month. Um, but we've been doing a 30 day challenge where it's pick a habit and do it every day for 30 days straight. Um, and, um, you know, everybody is pushing themselves really, really hard to, to just embedder themselves, even in some small way, which is a lot more difficult than it sounds. Embedding yourself in some small way with one small daily habit for 30 days straight, it takes a lot of work. I've actually been doing 30-day challenges myself every month this year, trying to get my physical and mental health habits back on track. And I have not yet succeeded in getting through 30 days straight. But we have a number of people who last month challenged themselves and succeeded. And we have something like, I think, 17 people still in this month's challenge who halfway through the month have kept up their habits every day, including some people who are also facing, I know personally, some very difficult challenges in their life. And the habits that they're doing are just to get some control back of their life. So... Um, I'm grateful for that. I'm obviously grateful for the moderators, um, who have been stepping up and keeping an eye on things. We have had some changes in moderation. A few people did step down from their moderator titles. This is not for any reason other than we agree, you, you know, it was just by mutual agreement because they didn't have the time or the wherewithal to devote, uh, to it or their, uh, membership in the community had changed because the moderators are volunteers. They help out because they want to. And there are some changes that we've been talking about making in the server for a while now, or at least I've been thinking about it and I only started talking about it um, recently. So I do want to make those a reality too. It's just that's going to move a little slow too. Everything's just going to move a little slow. Everything's going to move. It's just going to move slow. Okay. Um, and, you know, so there's that. But I am grateful to everybody who has, who is currently and whoever has moderated here. Um, I've, I've also, um, like, I've had fights with people here in the Discord because I'm not at my best, which isn't an excuse. It's not, that doesn't give you the right to mistreat people. 
Um, but it's hard to control your emotions when there's a lot going on. And so I've, you know, I do apologize to the people that I have fought with. Um, and, you know, fortunately the moderators have been there and some non-moderators uh, have been there to step in and say, hey, you okay? Which is kind of code for what you're doing is not okay. And one of the things the moderators have always done, which I value them um, greatly for, is keep me honest, is make sure that I follow the rules to an extent. There are certain rules I'm allowed to break because my name is on the door, but, you know, I still don't get to treat people without respect. And when I do break that, I do and notice it. I do seek them out and usually privately apologize and say, hey, that wasn't cool. Sometimes I'll publicly apologize. It's been happening and I'm sorry. And if I seem short-tempered or afraid, well, now you know what's going on. Um, that said, this year hasn't all been doom and gloom. And since we're doing a status update, we might as well ride this out. Okay. One thing that I've been tremendously proud of this year is the True Game Mastery series. Okay. That was something I had a vision for back in December. And I sat down and planned it out. Uh, and also planned some deliberate changes to my writing style. And I am extremely happy with 90% of how that series played out. I do feel it got a little flailing toward the end. And there are things I would do differently if I could go back and do it again. But that alone was an important aspect of reinventing my content, reinvigorating my content. It also let me explore some old ideas in some very new ways and kind of bring, bring everything together into one sort of unifying principle, which is what I had hoped to do. And I hope to do the same with true, game, true campaign managery. The real challenge is going to be scenario design, is going to be teaching people how to write adventures, um, which is something I've taught several times in various ways, in small ways. Um, but, you know, I really need to sit down and organize a plan for that from the beginning. Um, so, you know, that was good. Um, and that's honestly, I consider that a victory. So the other thing, though, most of you haven't seen any of it yet, and I plan to rectify that, um, is Slapdash which is something that ended up, despite the way it was invented, the way it came about, and the, the disaster it was growing out of, and it was just this on a response whim of, well, I'll just do this, fine, screw Wizards of the Coast, this is my plan. Um, the scope of the project has grown from a crappy little knockoff adventure RPG to something that I feel um, has real legs. I mean, a basic, basic engine's easy enough. And I can have that, like, like I can have a starter adventure and, you know, basically a little starter box done in a couple of months, you know, um, I can have a basic rule set that is playable for years of fun in, you know, uh, like eight or nine months after that. So that can all happen in 2024. Um, you know, not even eight or nine months. Pfft. Anyway, um, but 
then there's the plan for growing it beyond that. Um, and I think, I think what is ultimately going to end up happening is Slapdash is going to eat Smafarge and the two of them are going to become the angry RPG as envisioned. Um, that's obviously a longer term future. Um, but many of you are now in on the ground floor of that. And at the very least, um, in a couple of months, well, you know, before the spring thaw, you, those of you who are supporting will have the opportunity to run your first game of Slapdash. Okay. So I also still want to move forward on the tension dice thing. Okay. That's, that's an important thing. Uh, especially cause I kind of need a successful Kickstarter project. I need a revenue stream other than the support. Uh, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nori seems surprised, but that, that was part of the, the original plan was by Christmas for Christmas, you would be able to run your first game. I can't help that I have lost two months here. So the other positive about this, um, the other positive here, just to put a positive spin on things is as happy as I was in the relationship with Allie and as much as my, I was invested in my future with Allie in some ways, um, it was, I was over devoting, um, energy to it. And I now have the opportunity at least for a while, because you know, for a while I'm not going to be interested in, you know, relationships and things. It's just going to take time to heal. But at the same time, you know, the very least I now have all of the time I want to devote to getting, finding my path again. I'm, and I mean finding my personal path in life, but I also mean finding my path as angry games and the angry GM. So, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a little lonely. It's going to be a little gray. The holidays are going to be really hard to get through. Um, but, um, you know, at the very least now my destiny is my own and, uh, I only have to do, I only have to decide for myself what I'm doing with it now, you know? So, and I at least have a place to live that pro is probably not in any danger. Um, so I know where I'm going to be for the next year and I, I basically can decide how much time to put into anything. So now this is all mine to fail. You know, I know that's a, it's, it's a sad positive. It's a bittersweet positive, but it is, it is a positive, you know? There is, there is always in, in every relationship, there's a trade-off, you know, there are, there are, you sacrifice for the relationship and sometimes, you know, yeah, anyway, ugh, again, not using this for therapy. Okay. Other stuff. Uh, I will take Q and A. I'll hang out for a bit. Um, a little wound up now. So I will take Q and A, especially if people have some lighter Q and A, I will definitely take that. But if there's anything you want to know about anything I've said or any future plans with the caveat that, um, 
The answer to some future plans may be, I don't know yet. I haven't figured out how to fit that in. Okay. I have to be honest about it. Um, that I don't necessarily know how everything is going to fit in. Uh, in the meanwhile, I'm going to mention two other things quickly, um, which are more positive. So number one, um, Alyssa, uh, you know, one of the mods and one of the longtime members, Frenemy for Life, um, one of our awesome Discordians, all that stuff. Uh, she turned me on to a game that she, I, I'm disturbed to say it was half as a joke. I found out she was half joking. Okay. I thought it was just that she knew absolutely how to bring some wonder into my life. Um, but it is called Ebenezer and the Invisible World. It is on Steam, PlayStation, Switch, and it might be on Xbox, but I don't care. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, so it is a uh, adventure Metroidvania style game um, that is a sequel to A Christmas Carol. You are Ebenezer Scrooge, um, and you are going through Victorian Metroidvania platforming London um, on a on an adventure. It is so okay, and it is wonderful because it it, it hit everything because I love Christmas, and that's one of the reasons why the holidays are going to be so hard because I'm going to be spending Christmas alone. And I have not spent a Christmas alone in eight years. Um, and even then, I have only spent two Christmas. This will be the second Christmas in my life I will spend alone. I love Christmas. So that that's number one. It's a Christmas-themed Metroidvania. I also love A Christmas Carol. I love accounting, and Scrooge was basically an accountant. Uh, so it's a heroic accountant. And also, uh, I love Metroidvania games. It is definitely in the style of an Egavania. So um, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Metroid games, starting with Symphony of the Night and then all the portable ones, um, uh, you know, directed by, uh, shit, I forgot his first name, Igarashi. Kenji, Keiji, Keiji Igarashi? Maybe I can't remember his first name. This is so embarrassing as like the resident Metroidvania expert. But anyway, uh, so it has the RPG elements. It has side quests. It is like playing um, like, uh, you, you know, Castlevania Symphony, not Symphony of the Night, because, this, you know, he really refined his stuff with like Circle of the Moon and Rondo of Nocturne and all the other little portable ones. Um, and like Bloodstained, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is like the perfect comparison to what this style of gameplay is. Okay. That said, and I love it. Okay. I, I am enjoying it. It is filling me with bright eyed wonder. Um, I can't give it Koji Igarashi. Thank you. Thank you, Fnir. Um, uh, yeah, Koji Igarashi. So anyway, I am loving it. It's filling me with bright-eyed wonder and good cheer. Uh, but at the same time, it's not the best made game. Um, the controls are 
a little little sticky, but not in a way I can quite put my finger on. I just can't. I like it feels ninety percent smooth and ten percent. Something's not right here, but it's not it's not game breakingly bad. Um, there's some you know little amateur problems in the in in like the the things like backgrounds not lining up precisely and where screen transitions happen. It's not this is not like baby's first game, okay? It was made by someone competent. It was it's put together very very well, but you know, uh it's still it has its little flaws and if the little flaws are not enough to overcome what you're doing in it, it's not the greatest, but I love it. Okay, I love it, and it is absolutely 100% playable. Uh, I will not be writing articles about how well-designed the world is and how great the controls are or anything like that, and it certainly doesn't break any new ground. The graphics are absolutely gorgeous, however. Um, it is a beautiful game. The music is very atmospheric, though a little understated, so it's kind of hard to notice at times, but it definitely fits the game. And the best of all is the story. So uh, the prologue is the the ghost of Navy Man, I can't remember his name, comes to Ebenezer Scrooge one year after he was successfully Christmas caroled to, to ask for his help because apparently once you get Christmas caroled, you can see ghosts all the time. Okay, that's, you know, they can come back to you. So they need Scrooge because he's the only one who can see the ghost world because, the, the, of course, the, the basic underlying premise of the world is those who lived lives that chained them to their misery or their bad feeling or whatever it was are doomed to walk amongst humanity and never able to participate. So they are, you know, they're, they're these tormented ghosts. They are all wrapped in chains and they all wish, now they realize the error of their ways and they wish they could do better, um, but they can't communicate with the natural world or with the, with the human world. So, they, so now the, the ghosts are coming to Scrooge. He's like the I see dead people guy. And they're like, we need your help. So what happened is this year they tried to Christmas Carol another wealthy, selfish industrialist. Um, only it went wrong. And in the wealthy industrialist's glimpse of the future, um, you know, the ghost of Christmas yet to come showed him a future. And he realized that he was going down a bad path and took the long less wrong lesson of I have to get more evil done faster or else I will die before I finish my great work. Yeah. So <laughs> the ghost comes to Scrooge. It's like, Scrooge, you got to help me. We tried to Christmas carol this guy and he took the wrong message. And now he is bent on killing all of the poor people of the world because he's a rich industrialist who has made his living and gotten rich off the backs of all the poor people of the world. And this is where you don't want to think too hard about it because it's like, wait a minute. If he sees the poor people as basically rungs on the ladder of success and he has no problem stepping on them, why the hell is he trying to rid the world of them? But, you know, it's just 
fun. And also his steampunk factory goons are now running around Victorian London, oppressing the people, while at the same time, evil chained ghosts who are not redeemed are also running around attacking everybody. And thus, now London is a Metroidvania game. Um, I will say, the, the people who wrote this game love a Christmas Carol. They have an undying affection for the story of a Christmas Carol. It shows in everything. Um, you, you know, they, insofar as you can do a steampunk Metroidvania reinterpretation of um, a Christmas Carol as, you know, a, a sort of a, a class struggle with some obvious plot holes, uh, they obviously loved it, you know, so, yeah, like very early on, Fezziwig, the ghost of Fezziwig shows up to uh, be your tutorial ghost. And it's, you know, and Scrooge is like, oh, you were always generous in, in life and you still have a generous spirit. And I'm so grateful to you. I don't even think I ever deserved your kindness. And Fezziwig is, no, oh, but everybody deserves kindness, especially at this time of the year. So let me tell you how to access your map by pressing the X button. And it, you, you, it's like so steeped in the story. Um, and I love it. I love it. But, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's a, it's a cult thing. It's, you know, it's going to be one of those cult classic games. It's not going to be one of those games. It's like, oh my gosh, the graphics are great. The story is great. The, the, the game design is great. The mechanics are great. It's, it's just, it's one of those things that you either delight in it or, you know, you're not going to love it. That's it. Everybody should totally buy it. Everybody buy it. Um... Anyway, so let's see. Starborn Hero is asking, what do I know about the timing of the tension dice? I've covered that. It's gonna be the it's gonna be the inception of angry hacks, which are gonna come out once a month next year, starting in January. Um, and knowing that I'm you know finishing it up way early. Um so I feel like that's been asked and answered. Queasel, what system do you think you'll be using for your new in-person game? I am actually already using it. Uh, we did have our first session. We are playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition by Cubicle 7 Games. We're actually using the starter set. Um, so far, so good. Um, I, I I feel like I should save this for... an like, Ah, what the hell. Um... No, I'm gonna I'm gonna save the review for another time, at least till we finish it. Especially because I some people might be listening. Um, I am not steeped in the Warhammer universe by any stretch. I have only a vague and passing familiarity with it, and so do the players. I was interested in it more from a mechanical perspective, and I'm actually disturbed to see some of the things it does are things that I may be accused of stealing for slapdash, and I didn't know it was doing them, but that's okay. Um, and there are certain things that even without a full read through of the rules yet, because we're just using the, the starter set right now, uh, I do really love, and they seem to be having a good time. And the agreement was if the starter set goes well, we're going to do a campaign. We'll make actual characters. And then I will, uh, you know, I'll, I'll run a homebrew game because I don't do published modules, except I always do a published module when I'm starting a new system. So 
You know, I never, I never try to write material for a system I haven't run at least three sessions of. Um, preferably more, but yada, yada, yada. Um, so that's that. I'll have a longer review of it. I, you know what? One of the things I'm going to commit right here and now, this is one of the other things that is absolutely definitely on the schedule. Okay. Uh, mostly monthly live chat for December. We're going to do some kind of mostly monthly live chat. Um, so yeah, that's going to be there. And then I'll do a better review of it, especially once I don't have to worry about spoiling things for my players in case any of them hear this. Uh, let's see. Ice Bear 50, what do you have facing you on your GM screen? Uh, it's a tough question, honestly. Um, because here's the thing. When I run a game, I usually pull out whatever the official published screen is um, and have that in front of me, uh, you know, just for whatever references are on it. Um, and then I get frustrated with having the screen in front of me after a little while as a barrier between me and the, uh, me and the, uh, me and the players. I'm sorry. There was just, uh, someone posted in the wrong channel. The, imp the live chat, uh, Q and a thread is for questions and answers to be recorded in the live chat. It's not really for chat. Um, you know, if you want to con converse with each other, do that in the main channel. If you have an issue you need to bring up with me, send me a direct message or email patron.support at angry.games and I will address it. Uh, otherwise, can we keep the, the Q&A thing clean? Uh, and if a clarification needs to be made on someone's question, I will certainly ask for clarification. Uh, so, thank you. Okay. Uh, so, where was I? So, I usually get frustrated with the GM screen and eventually just throw it aside. So, I don't really have anything facing me on the GM screen. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, that's it. I And... Honestly, it's just whatever the GM screen is for the game. If a game come, if a game has a GM screen, I always buy it and I always set it up in front of me for at least a couple of sessions, and then I get frustrated and throw it away. Um, funny thing, I was run, I'm running an online game of AD and D Second Edition, okay, and there's a lot of little tables and a lot of fiddly bits with Second Edition. So I broke out my old GM screen, and even though I'm running an online game, I just put the GM screen in front of me on the map so I would have that. Even that I got annoyed with and just started putting it down and putting it aside. So I don't use the GM screen, I guess. I guess that's the answer. I don't have one. West Belmont, is an adventure required for you to release a first playable version of Slapdash? Absolutely it is. Okay, what you have to understand is that the first playable version of Slapdash is not a complete rule set. It is instead essentially a playtest version where you will receive an adventure, the rules for running that adventure, and pre-generated characters. It is what you would get from a starter set or a free RPG day or you know, you know, something like that, or a quick start, okay? It's not even necessarily going to be the complete rule set. It is going to be a three to five session adventure. Um, 
and the rules you need to run it and characters you need to run it. Um, otherwise, I couldn't write it in two months. Okay, I mean, you, you know. So, Logic Dragon. Are there magical schools in the Angryverse and do they ever feature in-game? Uh, so, yeah, a sort of. Like, no, but yes, okay? Like, first of all, I want to distance myself right now from the Strixhaven bullshit, okay? That is awful, awful tripe, and I have no respect for Wizards of the Coast for shitting that out. Okay, okay. Um, and frankly, I don't really think the concept of university of magic... First of all, I don't think magic is big enough or widespread enough to support universities. Okay? Um, like, that that's a thing. Like, I don't. And as soon as it is, like, you're getting away from magic. I mean, okay, it's one thing in, the, you know, the school, you know, in the wizarding world of Harry Potter to have the, the magical schools and the secret world. And she effectively did create a secret world that felt magical and wonderful because it was in the forefront. But the idea of actually having these, like, magical educational institutions is to some extent... Um, I feel it's kind of midi-chlorianzing magic, okay? And also it makes magic just too damn common. However, there are magical orders, okay? There are magical arcane secret societies, okay? In ancient times, when magic was, well, you know, in pre- in pre-Dark Age times, because, you know, the Angryverse is in a Dark Age. In Imperial times, when magic was more widespread and the Empire was, you know, a, a big thing and, you know, the, the world was much more civilized, there were a number of magical orders. There, you know, not, not colleges, but they were arcane organizations that taught specific or, you know, safeguarded and studied specific traditions of magic. And they more or less lined up with magical schools, but not in a one-to-one -one ratio. There was not the school of abjuration and the school of whatever and the school of enchantment, okay? Um, but there were, there was like um, the Golden Wyvern, the Golden Chimera, and they were an order of war mages. Um, in Imperial times, they lent war mages to the Imperial armies, um, and they trained in a combination. They, they trained primarily in evocation magic, like fireballs and stuff. They were basically artillerists, but that wasn't the only magic they trained in. There was also a lot of alteration or transmutation, I guess, now. Uh, you got to forgive me because now I'm doing AD&D 2nd Edition, so all the names of the magic schools are all just slightly different enough to confuse the hell out of you. Again. Um, and they also studied tactics, and they were also notable because they studied swordplay, just as a thing. You know, and then there was the, the Emerald Orb, 
Um, and they, they were diviners, um, and abjurers, but mostly divination. They mostly focused on using magic for wisdom and study. Um, but they gradually became like advisors to politicians and, and things like that. Like it was, if you were, if you were an aristocrat or a noble or a king or whatever, before the empire became the empire, you know, and you had a, a sage advisor, the best advisor you could have was a wizard of the Emerald Eye or the Emerald Orb. And they were, of course, you know, questions of were they the power between the power? Um, when civilization collapsed, when the empire in the West also uh, collapsed while in the in central angry verse, um, the civil war took out the second. There were basically three major powers. So this isn't just like the Roman Empire world. You know, there's the Roman Empire, there's the Eastern Empire, and there's the Persian Empire. Okay. Um, basically, the, those analogs. And they all unfortunately went through disasters at around the same time, which effectively set global civilization back centuries. Um, and the Wizarding Orders kind of collapsed. They just, it was just, you couldn't support it anymore. Um, so in those cases, um, you know, wizards then kept their traditions alive by passing them on. You know, some wizards were teaching bodies of students, others were teaching apprentices and, you know, some were, you know, they built their towers and preserved their teachings. So like every wizard would then became just preserving the magic in their own way. So today... You, if you are a wizard in the Angryverse, you likely hearken back to one of those orders, okay, because your teacher was, or the traditions you're taught were. Um, and you might even observe some rituals and superstitions and guild rules, even though the reasons why you observe them have may not be clear or they may be forgotten or whatever. It's just your teacher because he he was taught by someone who was taught by someone who was taught by someone all the way back to the Golden Chimera. So yes, he taught you swordplay and evocation and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, that's how it comes into play in the modern world. Um, of course, there's also just some you know, over time, a lot of those traditions have eroded. So there's just some wizards who are just wizards. As a side note, a lot of this was actually inspired by secret lore hidden in fourth edition. But that's a story for another time. Quizzle, is there anything you're particularly excited to write about before the end of the year? Yes. Yes, there is. Yes, there are. Um, so I did sit down today um, with the folks in the Angry Article discussion, and we talked a lot about um, what what sort of content I could put out until the end of the year. Um, and there were a couple of ideas that really did grab me. Um, somebody suggested I do a list of five five pieces of media that I recommend for great GMing. Um, and I realize this is like, people are always after me for recommendations and I almost never give them. It's like, what, what book should I read? I don't know. Find some, what, what video should I, I don't know. Find some. 
And I'm kind of an asshole like that, especially because people love my recommendations. So it's really like, you know, are there five different pieces of media? And I'm going to stick to five different media from five, five different types of media. So a movie, a video game, a board game, maybe two video games, I don't know, something like that. Um, with something that you can glean, like if you watch it or play it or experience it with a critical eye, is there something you can clean, glean from good, good GMing from it? That kind of a thing. That kind of grabbed me because I instantly had three ideas on the list. So, um, somebody talked about encounters with supernaturally aligned beings. Um, like how do you handle something like, you know, an encounter with an angel or a devil or whatever, where their alignment is a lot of, um, you know, is, is basically constrains their behavior. But, um, I also started to think that maybe it doesn't have to be, uh, supernaturally aligned, you know, while everybody else is screaming about, um, orcs and drow and whether or not you can, it's okay to have races that are evil, I can go ahead and just say it is and also explain what that means in terms of how you run those two. So, you know, how alignment affects encounters and social encounters um, is something that I want to wade in on, um, even though I will be, I will be wading into disaster there, but I don't care. I like that. Yeah, like, um, my players complimented me because uh, in my Thursday night AD&D game, um, because they've been on the trail of some orcs, some orc raiders. Um, and my orcs are not one dimensional, uh, oh gosh, I sure do love being evil. Me too. Let's be evil. You know, but right now they've only really encountered their handiwork and the brutality of it. Um, that, you know, these aren't just like the orcs aren't just primitive tribes, people. It's not just, oh, they're primitive and uncivilized. So they're evil. It is no orcs are evil for very specific. Like there is a specific aspect of orcs that makes almost all orcs evil. I am not saying you cannot have the rare good aligned orc who bucks the traditions of his people, but they are extremely rare, you know? Um, and orc society really doesn't tolerate it very much. Like if you're the rare orc that bucks the tradition, you don't get out alive is the thing, you know? So, but anyway, so they, they, they have encountered now orcs or at least the handiwork of orcs. And, um, while they are not cartoonish villains, um, they're also an utterly horrific race to share the world with. They, they are... And it is precisely because of their worldview, okay? It is because of their culture, okay? Because, you know, uh, so, and I have no qualms about doing that, you know? Uh, let's see. Is there a resource that does a good job of explaining what NPCs are, should be willing to do, given their current disposition? Uh, yeah, there are. And I kind of hinted at this. Okay. The disposition thing. Let's let's hit this. I, I'm just going to hang out. You know, I don't know how long this is going to go on. I'm going to hang out. It's not like I got any draws on my time right now. Um, so the disposition thing. Let's talk about this disposition thing. I put forth this idea that as a GM, you should be aware of how the 
NPC feels toward the party. And I recommended, I think, like a five-step system, like hostile, unfriendly, neutral, friendly, uh, worshipful, or some shit like that. Okay. I did not pull this out of my ass. This is not an invention of mine. This has existed in Dungeons & Dragons since at least AD&D 1st edition, and the only reason I'm not saying it was before then is because I am not intimately familiar enough with OD&D to say it was in there. Okay, there exists in every edition of D&D itself a table that lists this is, um, you you know, like... This is what it, what a friendly NPC is, what a, what a hostile NPC is, what, this is what they'll do. Um, f- fifth edition is the most limited because I think it just breaks, breaks people down into like three categories. It's either they like you, they don't like you, or they don't care one way or the other. Okay. But every edition of D&D, if you open it up, I'm pulling out 3.5 now, uh, which is my favorite. Um, this should be skills chapter if I'm not mistaken. Let's see how fast I can find this without, without going to an index. The, these rules. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's five attitudes. They call them attitudes in D&D 5e. This is on player's handbook 72 in the sidebar influencing NPC attitudes. Okay. Hostile, unfriendly, indifferent, friendly, and hostile. Okay. Tells you what it means. A hostile will take risks to hurt you. An unfriendly wishes you ill. Indifferent doesn't much care. Friendly wishes you well. Helpful will take risks to help you. And then possible actions. Hostile will attack, interfere, berate, or flee from you. Unfriendly NPCs will mislead, gossip about you, avoid you, watch you suspiciously, or insult you. Indifferent NPCs will behave as they are socially expected to behave. Friendly NPCs will chat, advise, they will offer limited help, and they will advocate for you. And helpful NPCs will protect you, back you up, heal you, offer you aid, or take other risks to help you. Okay, this is all, like, and that's all you need right there. Okay, every edition of D&D has that. Somewhere, you might have to, um... You might have to, you, you know, dig for it in your particular edition. D&D 5e, I know it's in the DM's guide. And like I said, I think it's only down to three. Um, but there you go. There's your list right there. Do you need more than that? No. Because, you know, you, you know, it's one of the, you know, if the, if the NPC, if the players are asking the NPC to do something that will require them to do a risk and the NPC is not you know, top level disposition, the NPC is not going to do it. They just doesn't like the NPC enough to put their neck, or just don't like the party enough to put their neck on the line. Okay. You don't need to look for any more than that. Just open your damn book. You'll find it. Okay. I can't speak for other role play. I know for a fact, this same almost identical table ended up in Pathfinder 1E. I can't speak for Pathfinder 2E. And uh, I could probably rattle off a list of half a dozen other role-playing games where you will find almost exactly the same table. So, there it is. Um, let's see. Will Slapdash be an open system that encourages GMs to create their own settings, or will a setting come along with it? 
Slapdash will be written with a specific setting in mind. That is the only way it works. However, Slapdash will be written with a specific setting that has a lot of blanks. Okay? So there's plenty of world out there. If you want to use Slap, like, there's certain things you can't change without writing, rewriting the rules. Okay? Magic works a certain way. That is an aspect of the setting. There's no way around that, and it has implications for the setting. Okay? Literally, like, one of the, th one of the facets of Slapdash, dictated by the game design and not just theming, is that you must be born able to use magic, or you never ever can. I'm talking, and by the way, when I'm talking magic, I'm not talking divine magic. Divine magic's different. Divine magic's not magic. Divine magic is divine. Okay, so as soon as you start imposing rules like that, you can't do that shit without a setting. Okay, the setting is there for the GM to make their own, though. Okay, it is. I'm not going to say it's generic fantasy setting because obviously I'm making some very specific decisions about how certain things work. Gods are another one. Okay. How the gods work. That's another thing. Um, but that aside, you know, it's, will, will you also be able to make your own game for it? Yes. Obviously since the beginning of time, GMs have been able to make their own game. Look, D and D 3.5, which, I'm kind of stuck on it. And AD&D 2nd Edition and even and D&D 4th Edition and even D&D 5th Edition, they all do have a setting. It's weak and they don't really give a shit how stuff works. So it doesn't inform much. But there is a setting there and that doesn't stop you from making the game your own or building different settings, okay? The D&D 3.5 is set in Greyhawk, the most generic fantasy setting you can have. Um, so you don't even have to use its map and you can use it. You know, obviously if you want to build your own world, you're going to have to write your own gods, be, but like, you know, it's also, if you ship the game that has divine magic that comes from specific gods and you ship it without gods, uh, and you say, well, in order to even play this game, you have to come up with a list of gods yourself. Then already you you shipped an incomplete game. So it's going to have to have a setting and that setting is going to have to have certain decisions made about it. And GMs will have the power, like they always have, to make it, um... BC56 is asking... Guys, thread is for questions. Chat is for talking. Otherwise, I gotta watch both, and I obviously watch both anyway. But I noticed BC56 coming up. Are there examples of blanks in Slapdash you're willing to share? Yeah. Um, so, for example, one blank is... And then there's another blank where I haven't done anything here. Okay. So, I mean, that's just two examples of blanks. Okay. Anywho. Are adventurers in the angry verse? Oh, my God. Okay. So, I'm going to keep answering questions for a little while, but let's... Here, I got to tell you something about the angry verse. The angry verse is dead. Okay. And I said that earlier today, and you don't understand the implication of what that means. Okay. The Angryverse started as the core 4E setting back in 2007. And as I was running games in 4E, I gradually made the setting my own. 
I was taking what was already in the setting and building on it and building lore and explaining things and yada, 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 all of that, okay? Until gradually I had pulled out various pieces and replaced them with others and eventually I even replaced the gods and did this and that and, you know, the alignments. So gradually over time, the Angryverse was born, okay? The Angryverse has been running in a holodeck program in my head steadily since 2007, okay? I'm intimately familiar with it, but there is almost nothing written down about it. It is just that as I ran the world and made it my own and discovered more and more about it, I just learned what the world was like. And every time I needed some in piece of information for an adventure, I learned more about the world. Okay. Uh, I stopped running games in the Angryverse about a year and a half ago, I think. Maybe. Um, and what has happened now since I shut down the holodeck program is all the information is gone. Um, I don't know now. There's still things I can remember, obviously. But one of the things that happened was like, I never had to answer questions about it other than bringing, you know, things I needed for the game. So people would ask me questions to explain stuff in the angry verse, but I never bothered to explain it. I just sort of knew. I know how undead are. If the players ask me a question, I can answer it. And if a fan asked me a question, I could answer that. And then suddenly I would codify stuff. Okay, the codification didn't start happening until people started asking me shit about the angry verse. The only thing I ever hard codified, I think, was the religion. There, that's the thing that I wrote stuff down for. I have it somewhere in one of my 10,000 folders. Okay. So now when you ask me questions about the angry verse, they're very difficult to answer because it's no longer in the front of my headspace. And meanwhile... I'm trying to leave that processing... This is going to make me sound bonkers. Ah, what the hell? You already know I'm crazy. I can only keep one world in my head. Okay? But I can keep one world in my head with a level of detail that you cannot possibly imagine. Okay? <sighs> Shutting down the angry verse was also so that the world I can keep in my head is the slap verse. I just don't know much about the slap verse yet. Okay. There's going to be stuff that is going to carry over because the slap verse is going to be built on the foundations of the angry verse. Okay. In much the same way that ancient cities were built on the ruins of those cities. And so they took on their shape and their character. And, you know, but there's also going to be some substantial differences. So I have, like, in this crazy way that only makes sense to me because I know how my brain works, I have unloaded and defragged the mental space that held the angry verse. And I'm kind of not even interested in answering questions about it because I don't, I don't want to accidentally bring it back to life. 
Uh, even the gods of the Angryverse, they're probably dead forever. Okay? Because they don't work in Slapdash. So, uh, with that said, are adventurers in the Angryverse an institution or are they lone groups of people or something else? The word adventurer means nothing. Okay? The word adventurer is a game term. It means one who adventures. Okay? Almost nobody calls themselves an adventurer. Okay? There are certainly people who are adventurers, even in the real world, and very few of them call themselves adventurers. Some will call themselves mountain climbers, and some will call themselves archaeologists, and some will call themselves backpackers, and some will call themselves nothing. They're just taking a year to find themselves. <laughs> just saw what happened in the chat. Uh, Great Kate is like, gonna have to get going, catch you later. And Stu is like, yes, thank you. Apparently Stu feels very strongly about Kate leaving. <laughs> I am going to assume Stu is cheering on my view that the word adventurer is purely a game designation. Okay. An adventurer is someone who rejects the workaday life of the normal civilized folk of the world. Okay. Adventurer just means player character. And I realize I'm going to reopen a giant fight um, in everything. Because we just had a giant fight about what it means to be an adventurer. Okay. I do know that there are some games that exist um, around the concept of things like an adventurer's guild. Um, or that they have several, inst- or they have a various number of institutions that the people who are members of these institutions are basically adventurers. Okay, I am aware that those exist, um, and they are an excellent conceit for a campaign. Um, or if you have a, a, a role-playing game engine with a, with a uh, singular vision. Uh, I think, like, um, I'm going to invoke Ryutama, which is very dangerous because I have only skimmed it. I just bought it. But I think Ryutama has this sort of tradition built into it where everybody goes on an adventure once in their life. And so adventure is a concept in the world. Um, I know other games exist where the concept is you are a member of an adventurer's guild. I have run campaigns myself where the conceit was there is a guild of cell swords and mercenaries and explorers and spell swords and all of those other cell spells who consider themselves to be uh, adventurers, and you are then, um, then you know, and then the players are members of that organization. But uh, and there are some organizations that exist like that in the world where other people would describe, "Oh, yeah, you're 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 one of the adventurers of the League of the Blue Cloak." Uh, but it is even then the members would rarely just describe themselves as adventurers. You know, they were they were mercenaries or itinerant priests or archaeologists or scholars or wizards or whatever who joined up because the whatever the guild there was a benefit to joining the adventuring chapter. 
Um, it's not formalized in any way. Um, it doesn't mean that there are not org organ organizations that could exist like that, and there certainly are, but that is, they are the exception, not the rule. Okay. What is the quality worldview of orcs that make them evil? Yada, yada, yada. Sorry, my players might be listening, and I don't think they know all of this yet. So I can't answer, Queasel asks. Um, yeah. The, so here's the problem. Some of my players in some of my games, in, I have two games right now, some of my players in both of my games are members of this community. And I consider my games to be uh, the one thing that I will not wreck for the community. So sometimes I will actually not give information. Like, there's, like there's, there are articles I will not write because they might wreck one of my fun games. Uh, and so like, that's, that's the one thing that the community doesn't get. Um, that's another, like, it's the same mentality, by the way, people have asked me, Hey, would you consider streaming your games? And it's like, I would consider streaming a game. I will absolutely never ever stream one of my personal for fun games. Those are mine. That's something that the community doesn't get to have. It's, it's separate from my work. And so every once in a while, a question will come up where I have to say, I can't give you that information because in doing so, I might be making my game less fun for my players. And this is one of those cases where I need to preserve the mystery. Because I am also very big on discoverable secrets and I have found a group of players that also really like discovering how the world works. And because the world is such a rich um, tapestry, um, there is always some in something interesting to discover. They may never find out about the orcs either. In which case, uh, you know, like three months, I'll tell you the answer. But, you know. Look, I mean, though, like, take the, like, this is... Okay. What you have to understand here, because I'm gonna try, I'm gonna answer this question without answering it, just because I've run out of questions and you know, I you know I, I I'm over the hour and a half mark and you know so might as well just stick around. Okay. First of all, I subscribe to the personal belief, which is correct, that. The non-human races in fantasy role-playing games benefit from being monocultural. Okay? That, or, you know, like, or at most a couple of cultures. Like, you can have your high elves, you can have your wood elves, and they have essentially different cultures. Okay? But the minute you start giving them a diverse culture they cease being distinct from humans, which means they are just funny little pe funny looking people, not funny little people. Some of them are little people. Um, they are funny looking people with magical powers 
and otherwise meaningless. I also, by the way, feel they benefit from biological strengths and weaknesses that are set by their anatomy. Okay, you cannot have a halfling with an 18 strength. Okay, you cannot. Okay, I understand the world is magical and you can have magical things and you can have a halfling that is enchanted with a girdle of giant strength to have an 18 strength or a 20 strength or whatever because of the magic of that particular item. But halfling still means halfling and they cannot have an 18 strength. Okay, I have no problem with that. Okay, once you accept the fact that races are mostly monocultural, which is not me saying there are never any deviants, but the problem is, by the way, you have to be very careful with the deviants from the monoculture. Because if there are too many deviants from the monoculture, especially given the limited interactions the players have with these other races, um that then you erode the feeling that the race is a distinct race. Okay, so now here is the thing. Yeah, Quizel is saying if you have too many deviates, you get the Drizzt problem. Yes, where every dark elf is a chaotic good rebel throwing off the yoke of his or her evil society. Mm-hmm. Right, you can't have that. Drist only worked because he was the one drow that was like that. Okay. Um, so the thing is, once you establish a monoculture, there are some cultures that by their culture are bad. Okay. A, like a culture that lives for say rapacious conquest, never showing an enemy mercy on the battlefield that considers the world to be their rightful property that was stolen from them. Um, you know, a xenophobic culture, uh, a, a, like a violently xenophobic culture. These are cultures that are effectively evil, okay? That for all intents and purposes, you cannot share the world with them because they, you, you know, they, will, they violently oppose your existence. So, you know, the drow, for example, believe... Um, first of all, they are, they believe in their own superiority to all other races, which is dangerous to begin with. But second of all, they're also extremely bitter about their exile from the Feywild and from the surface world. And so they have chosen to respond by building an entire culture around the idea of, you know, apart from, you know, shackling themselves into um, a very, like, here's the weird, like, the, the whole drow as chaotic evil thing never aligned with how drow were presented because drow have an extremely lawful matriarchal society. Like, it is an extremely ordered society. Okay, but anyway, um, nonetheless, so effectively, the drow are evil 
because their worldview is incompatible with good. Um, uh, add to this the fact that we have a fantasy world where each race was known to have been created by and in the image of one or more of the gods. Okay? And the gods themselves come in goods and evils and stuff. So Corallon Lerithian, he created the elves. Or they created the elves. You know, whichever version of Corallon you want. Right? And Moradin, he created the dwarves. He forged the dwarves. And he forged them in his image. And it is also rather unique that humans um, are, like... There is not a creator god of humans that is usually talked about in most D&D pantheons. And 4th edition actually made that a plot point. that it, The reason for human diversity was because their creator, something, there was something they didn't have one creator god. Nobody knew why, no, nobody knew who the creator of humans was, whatever. Um, and so it created, which is also why humans were corruptible and why they were willing to serve just about any god. And that's such a rich flavor right there. But again, as soon as you say, okay, um, uh, you know, once you say, okay, so you have these orcs um, that, that are created by a god who is vengeful and despises all of the other gods and feels like he has been slighted by all the other gods, um, and he is burning with rage. The people he is going to create, they are going to be burning with his rage. And he is going to instill in them the idea that the entire world has been stolen from them, that they have been forced to the least desirable corners of the world and denied the trappings of civilization and bounty that all of the other races enjoy. And they are responding to that um, by taking everything from everyone and killing everyone in the process, okay? So, not that I'm giving away the worldview of orcs, but essentially in this supernatural fantasy world, there you go. That is an explanation. They were created by Groomsh One-Eye. Groomsh One-Eye hated all the other gods. Um, like, Nitsuo, this feels like a stupid question, but why include races at all in the Slapverse? What benefit do they bring to the game? Because they are an essential quality of fantasy, okay? One of the essential elements of fantasy is the ability to wander a world that is not entirely human and meet and interact with fantastical human-like creatures. If you remove races from fantasy, you don't have fantasy anymore. Okay? And that is the benefit they bring to the game, so that people can go meet elves and meet dwarves. And because at this point, somebody out in the role-playing world has to preserve these damn traditions because lots of people are just destroying these ideas and they are valuable literary ideas. So, 
If I wanted to make a crusade of it and say that there was a good reason for the role-playing game community and medium, that is it. But in the more specific sense, they are an inherent part of what makes a fantasy world a fantasy world. That there are non-human fantastical races. That humans share the world with these non-human but sentient beings, some of which are benevolent and some of which are malign, and many of which are much more magical than the humans, does that mean there have to be playable races? I don't know. They don't have to be playable. That's an open question. But yes, the world must include sentient beings that are not human, but also it must not include aliens. And this is the thing. Okay. The difference between a fantastical race and an alien is essentially that aliens are basically humans with a tweak, whereas fantasy races are distinct cultures and ideas and expressions of themes given a sentient character form. Okay. The, the, aliens are not incomprehensible. Uh, Stu is saying aliens are incomprehensible. No. Um, it's uh, Aliens are, um, like, in science fiction, okay? Aliens are basically humans, okay? Like, almost all... You, there's, there's something different about them. Like, they may be the race that is really good at piloting, or they may be the race with four arms, or they may be the race that is deeply spiritual, or they may be the race with psychic powers, or yada, yada, yada. But in the end, they are basically as rich and diverse and complex and different as humans um, with a prosthetic on them. Yeah, rubber forehead aliens. Okay. And that is, you know, this is also a thing it, it, that is important to the to one of the themes of science fiction is that in the end we are all the same anyway. You know? Right. And Star Wars Fantasy Flight Games Star Wars yeah, you that's not Star Wars Fantasy Flight Games. You know you know Fantasy Flight Games didn't invent Star Wars. It was a thing before they raided the game, right, Nori? Star that's Star Wars. Okay? The aliens are human-like, and usually they have an aspect turned up to 11. Then we can go up to like the, 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 the Planet of Hats approach, which, um, see, now this is the thing that over time, we've kind of gotten away from the Planet of Hats approach, okay? Which is why I can now say with, okay, Planet of Hats is, is a troper term uh, for the, the Star Trek approach of... You know, they fly to a new planet and they meet a, a race on that planet. And the race is just this, you know, it, it's this one, like, monocultural ideal. Um, and it's human, but with this just one ideal dropped on it. Okay. And everybody is, a, uh, is an expression of that ideal. Right. So, you know, this is the gangster planet. Or this is the, the planet of nature-loving um, furries. Or whatever, right? The planets of hats. There's a reason why that looks so silly in science fiction. And why most science fiction has turned away from it. And why you don't find it so much even in science fiction games. And the reason is, 
it's not really a science fiction concept. It doesn't fit in science fiction. On the other hand, it is fantasy. Okay? Um, and there, there is a reason for... Like I, I, there, there's, like, I could write a whole thesis on this. But I think when you get down to it, science fiction is about, um, essentially, how our knowledge and technology allow us to conquer the universe or control the universe. However, fantasy is about how we learn to live in a universe that we cannot conquer or control. Okay. In the end, the, the whole idea of, you know, isolated pockets of humanity surrounded by monsters. Okay. And even the other races that we share the world with are inscrutable and they are not, they, they don't have human interest. That's fantasy. It's learning to live in a world you can't conquer or control. Which, by the way, is why the environmentalist druid is such a stupid trope to bring into fantasy. Because the idea that the world of a fantasy, the idea that a fantasy world needs some human protecting it from the ravages of humanity, that's a joke. The world doesn't need humans to protect to protect it from the ravages of humanity. Humanity can't take the world. The world is so much more powerful. Okay? And that's that's the whole point of fantasy. Okay? And honestly, this is also why I think fantasy is at least as important as science fiction to be preserved as it was intended, okay? Because, and this is me starting to get a little high-minded and cultural, people are losing the sense that we are at the mercy of the chaos of the world, okay? Culturally speaking, in the West, we have lost our respect for chaos. We have lost our fear of chaos. And that is why something like a global pandemic can cripple us psychologically. Because we no longer know how to cope with a world we don't control because we have convinced ourselves we do. But we still don't. There will always be things beyond our control. And the stories of fantasy, which grew out of this, like, I, I know, yes, fant modern fantasy grew out of romanticism and romantic, well, yada, 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 okay? But it's all steeped in mythology, okay? Fantasy is an evolution of mythology. Yes, there was the romantic period. Of course, the romantic period was a response to a, ra a whole rationalist movement of, yes, we can understand everything and we can conquer everything and we have done it and we have industrialized the world and you know now we control everything. We are the masters of the world. And then there was a realization that that was an insufficient worldview. And so you had a cultural pull toward romanticism. And honestly, that's gone back and forth several times in, in Western history, you know? 
so we're probably going to be on the swing back toward romanticism in our media in the next 10 to 20 years. So I might just be ahead of the curve here. But again, that's high-minded cultural critique. Okay? But the point is that it is essential to fantasy that the world is essentially not... It, that it is essentially filled with non-human elements and that non-humans or, or that the humans have to just scrape by and figure out how to live in that world without the power, okay? And that's what our myths have been about all along. Our werewolf stories are fear of the or fear of anger, but also fear of our animal instincts, okay? The Wendigo tale. The, the original Wendigo myth, the Native American Wendigo myth, was originally a warning that, hey, no matter how bad things get, don't resort to cannibalism. Yes, the winter is hard. Yes, you're out of food. You resort to cannibalism. Everything is ruined, not just for you, but for generations, because then society falls apart. Society is bigger than you. You may die in a hard winter, Many people may die in a hard winter, but it is much more important that society doesn't, and if we start seeing each other as food, society dies. Hence, there is a spirit that comes out in the hardest and the worst of winters that takes the hearts of men and drives them to consume their fellow men. Yes, starvation leads to a desire to cannibalism. Don't do it. It's evil. Okay? This is, our, this is the mythology. And this is what's in fantasy. And it's important. Because you know what? That hasn't changed. Okay? I mean, there is still always a danger that anybody could be starving or struggling or whatever. And if they start to break the rules that keep society together, then it's not... They may save themselves in the short term, but they're doing irrevocable damage in the long term. You know? So, don't resort... Like, Angry's tip of the week... No matter how cold and hungry you are, don't eat people. Anyway. And that is why I think it is important that there are elves in the slap verse, so that people don't eat people. Huh. This is discrimination. I know this is discrimination. Like, do you think it... Like, <laughs> yeah, right. This, yeah, this is only gaming advice, okay? I'm only saying don't eat people in a role-playing game context. If you eat people... Oh, oh, okay. I thought you were pointing out that the things I'm saying are going to turn the gaming community against me. And I'm like, no shit. That, for me, that's a Tuesday. Okay. I know what I'm saying is terrible and unpopular and people don't want to hear it right now, but... Um, Actually, I have a very strong belief there are a lot more people in the gaming community who do want to hear exactly that. They're just not on Twitter. Zudichugim, what do elves and dwarves taste like in the slap verse? They taste like evil. October Foundry. Does the way that the player characters are so powerful in current fantasy systems erode the fantastic world? Yes. I, I mean, I feel absolutely comfortable saying that Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition is barely a fantasy game. 
It is just not like it's barely it's barely a fantasy game. Okay, all of the themes and trappings that are central to making fantasy fantastic have been destroyed. And I haven't played Pathfinder 2E, I've made a survey of the rules, but Pathfinder 1E was already also going down that road. So Pathfinder 2E is well on the way, I'm sure. Okay. But yeah, current current fantasy games, they, they don't know what fantasy is anymore. Okay. That's why magic doesn't feel magical. Okay. One of the things I repeatedly get told by players, and not just my current players, but as I run games for others and as I've run games online, one of the things I repeatedly get told is, uh, wow, you made this world feel magical and fantastic and wonderful. Like, if it feels like I'm in a fantastic world. I'm going to have to... Great Kate is saying I'm going to have to listen to the recording later. This sounds like gold. Have you not been listening? <laughs> Oh, oh, Great Kate is not listening. Okay. All right. Do I have any other questions? I'm at the two-hour mark, so I'm kind of inclined to shut it off here and try to get some sleep. Sleep has been eluding me, too. That's the other thing. Stress makes it hard to sleep. Zoot says Kate had to go, remember? But Great Kate is still here talking in the chat, so... But we're having so much fun. Could you write an article to teach us how to keep the world magical and fantastical? I've been asked that a lot. The thing is, I would love to, but I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, okay. The, the, like, most of it is stuff I've already said. Okay, here, here's the thing. If you follow most of the advice I've written, you won't just be a good GM, okay? You'll also be doing the other stuff that I'm talking about because basically when I'm telling you how to be a GM, I'm also telling you how to be a GM like me, okay? And it may seem like the things that I tell you to do have nothing to do with keeping the world magical and fantastical. And that's fair. Like, a lot of it has very little to do with making the world magical and fantastical, okay? The biggest thing, okay. Let me give you an example. So, uh, here's, a, here's a thing. Okay. So, there was this, uh, this piece of advice that ended up starting a huge fight in the Discord the other day, and I'm sorry I yelled at people about it and said some really mean things, but it's the be a fan of the player's characters, Right? Be a fan of the player's characters. And when you start to explore that idea, um, when you start to inflate the idea that the player's characters are the reason for the game, okay? They are, like, ultimately, the player's characters are in the spotlight, they're what the story's about, yada, yada, yada. Okay. you instantly start to lose the magic of the world. I know this sounds crazy, but think about it. What is it that makes the world feel wonderful and fantastic and magical and awe-inspiring? It is that it dwarfs the characters, okay? That the world is bigger 
than the people in it. Okay, because, right? I mean, that's the whole thing about fantasy too that I was just saying. That the world itself is bigger and greater and more wonderful and more complex and more full of awe-inspiring things than the people who occupy it. Okay? If you as a game master sit down at the table thinking that the most important thing at that table are the player characters... You are already taking the wonder from the world because you cannot feel awe and wonder at something less important than you, okay? What makes you feel like you are part of something wonderful is the sense that you, you are in a thing that is much greater than you. The more you emphasize the player characters and their roles and their powers and their stories and everything else, the less fantastical and wonderful and magical and expansive and awe-inspiring the world feels. That Saying that alone will get me laughed out of every GMing forum on the internet. Because what I'm basically saying is, as a GM, your world is more important than the player characters. But if you want your players to feel like they're a part of a world, that is how you have to do it. Okay? Because otherwise they don't feel like they're part of anything other than their own story. And their own story isn't magical because they wrote that themselves and they know how it works and they know how everything on their character sheet works, okay? To be quite honest, I don't actually have that much magic in my magical, wonderful, fantastic world, okay? But the players are always aware that there's stuff going on that isn't them. That there's adventures happening that aren't them, and that there's creatures who are, you know, they are coming from outside. My players encountered a ghost that turned out to be a fairy. Okay, they were hunting through some ruins. There were some goblins in the ruins. Um, the the goblins were just raiding raiding travelers as they went past, like goblins do. You know, it was basically it's the first adventure in a new campaign, so you're going to fight goblin raiders. You know, so. But they ran into a ghost that was asking for their, oh, I'm a tormented spirit. And it later turned out that the ghost was actually a fairy who had turned itself invisible uh, to approach the, the heroes and figure out what they wanted and then tried to trick them into defeating the goblins, which was unnecessary because they were already there to defeat the goblins. But, you know, uh, and in the end, then the fairy revealed, oh, yeah, I'm a fairy and I'm from, fairy, you know, fairy town. And here, here is this gem. And... Thank you, and now you're a friend of the fairies. Bing! And then she flew off. What was she doing? Where was she going? Why did she end up there? Nobody knows. What does that even mean? Will they ever even encounter fairies again? Will they be able to show that gem to anyone? Who knows? Okay? It was just a thing. Okay? And it a, rather a silly thing, to be totally honest. Then again, my players also got attached to a giant toad that just happened to be living in the river there. So I don't know. Did the audio go weird for anyone else? 
Okay. Okay. Actually, Alyssa is throwing out a bunch of cool, uh, a bunch of good, a good, exp uh, like there isn't an explanation for thing. Most of the world is mundane. The wonderful, mysterious, magical, and terrifying are rare and made greater by the contrast to the mundane. The people in the world have lives and agendas outside the characters. Every place has a story. You don't necessarily need to know it. The players certainly don't, but they should sense that the place has a story, you know? Um... Yeah, and I mean, even in this one little dungeon, there were, like, it was it was a ruin. But there were several stories that they found out. There was a bear that just lived there. You know, I don't think they ever even encountered the bear. I think they avoided the bear. They just discovered that there was a bear that just lived in this one little, one little hidey hole in the ruins. And it would drag its, you know, it would go out, go out during the, the, the evening and the morning and, you know, or whatever it was. But even that sort of thing, it's just like, oh, there's an ecosystem. You know, the, there's things that come and go. That's, there is, there is little difference between making the world feel magical and fantastical and making the world feel real. Okay. It's first you learn how to make the world feel like a world and you learn how to make it feel real. And then you inject it with just enough magic that there's wonderful stuff going on, you know? So, and yeah. Anyway, so now I don't have to write the article, but you managed to keep me here for an extra 10 minutes, you know? Yeah, I'm working, I'm working on a map right now for a town that my party is coming up on tomorrow. And the first town they, they ran into in this campaign setting is it's essentially a feudal castle town. Um, so it's, you know, it's a, a central keep, uh, surrounded by a courtyard with a lower keep, uh, in which, you know, s several of the important town buildings are surrounded by a, you know, um, other, other buildings in a market square surrounded then by farmland, very, very plain feudal, um, town, normal, right? Um, the neck they're going they're visiting another castle now um because in i'm i'm actually i've leaned more into feudalism in this AD&D second edition game um so most of the civilizations most of the settlements that they're visiting um are either you know like crossroads markets whatever or else they are visiting strongholds like that's what this kingdom primarily consists of. It is strongholds surrounded by farmland um, with the occasional crossroads market or, you know, uh, farmstead or whatever. Um, and this one is going to have, this one's going to be more fantastical, but it not fan, like not magical. It's going to be a thing. Oh, humans could have built this, but still it's not the sort of thing that you would ever run into in the real world. It's like, oh, you know, that's, it's kind of neat and distinct and different. And I'm kind of proud of it. I was working on the map of it today. And I think they're, they're probably going to only end up spending one, one and a half sessions in this town because there's just not much for them to do here. But still, you know, just take the time to map it. But they also ran into a couple of farms and they, because they've been discovering that somebody is burning their way through the countryside, which turns out to be orcs. And the first farm they found was just a nice normal farmstead. And then, and then they encountered a halfling farm. 
um, which is basically, you know, a little sod house height, hobbit hole type, but, you know, much, it was, it was just different enough. And it was just like, oh yeah, this is, this is a farm. It's a normal farm. It's a recognizable farm, but yes, this is the sort of place that halflings would be comfortable farming, you know? I like halfling farmsteads, you know? I think they were making apple wine or perry or something. I mean, they were making every, that's the other thing. It's, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an isolated farmstead that has chosen to be away from civilization, which turned out to be a mistake because orcs. But anyway, you know, they, they just chose the, the life on the frontier, not paying taxes to anyone. Nobody's bothering them. You know, they're technically on owned land, but they're far enough away. Nobody cares. Um, and they just decided to go it themselves and, you know, and so they were totally very self-sufficient. They had everything they needed on this little farm. They built it up for three or four, probably three generations. And now they're all dead, dead, hacked apart, maybe eaten. Yeah. The party found orc jerky and some orc, uh, orc canteens or orc wine skins. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so yeah, but you know, it's, it doesn't take much to make the world feel fantastical as, as if you already know how to build a world and make it feel big and real and then just, and ground it there, then whatever, whatever, whatever little differences there are, whatever, this is the thing. As soon, the, the other thing is this, as soon as the party gets away from civilization, the fantasy should ramp up. Okay, this is the other thing. Don't put the fantasy in the civilization. Um, the fantasy lives beyond civilization. Okay. Um, it's, you know, the, the party can't, does not encounter giant eagles and fairy dragons and, and stuff in town. Okay. And the farther they are from town, the more fantastical it should be. You know, several days from town all the way down the river, that's where they'll find the giant eagle area, or they'll find the centaur's plains. This is the centaur's land, you know, or, right. Okay. Because there has to be that separation, too, because it helps with the contrast. Oh, yeah, Doug is saying, and a lot more dangerous. Of course it's a lot more dangerous. There's a reason why people live behind the walls. Because the wall, you know, living behind the walls are safe, but you never get to experience the wonder by living behind the walls. It's one of the reasons people go adventuring. You know, the wonder and the treasure uh, and the experience points and all the other stuff, all the great stuff, is not in town. Okay. Which is, there was a question about, you know, why isn't it interesting to be a farmer? And it, the answer is right there. It can't be because then you don't have a fantastic world anymore. Okay. If the interesting stuff is happening on the farm, the, you, you, you are letting your fantasy bleed into civilization and then it just becomes the norm. You know, there should be a sense you, you, the, the, the whole, like you step, step out of the town gates, get, you know, put the farms behind you and there's no telling what's out there. You know, that's important. Like you can, that that's, and I've never shied away from that too. I've never shied of springing things on, on the players as soon as they were away from the town. 
even if it's just a mysterious old man who may just be a well-informed, crazy old man, or who may actually be a nut job, or who may be a traveling god. You know, you know, Odin and his, uh, yeah, or was it Odin? Odin and his ravens used to wander the world as an old man and his two birds. Or, or like Bahamut, the old man and his seven canaries, which was directly inspired by Odin. In, in old editions of D&D, Bahamut used to wander the world with seven canaries. And the seven canaries were actually his uh, seven gold dragon courtiers who always accompanied him. And it was always a fun, like, GMs back in the old days, you know, they used to encounter the old man with seven canaries and players would, like, moon him or piss him off or whatever. <laughs> and then they had the plutonium dragon and his seven gold dragon consorts or whatever you know anyway all right i really think i should call it a night i know everybody's going to try and keep me talking but Yeah, in, Dra in Dragonlance, he would disguise himself as a bumbling old wizard, and he would find a bumbling way to help the characters. Dragonlance had a tone problem. I tried very hard to enjoy the books, and I know this is an unpopular opinion. Dragonlance had a weird kitchen sink approach to things that I was not expecting when I finally sat down to read it, and it also had a bit of a tone problem in my mind. Um, I, Not disparaging it, it's great for people, it's just not great for me. Anyway, no, I don't need a broom. Um, it has been a lot of fun to actually just do a live chat again. Uh, I really love this. I love interacting with the community. Uh, and honestly, the thing that keeps me going is this community. We have an amazing community. And I am grateful to each and every one of you, one of you for being a part of it and making it a great community. Um, and I've already said the thank yous. And I'm saying the thank yous again. Everybody's been tremendously patient and supportive of me as I go through this extremely difficult time. And I am glad that I took the time to spell out everything, especially because there's a lot of rumors floating around and some people are worried about me because they knew heart problems, hospital, suffered loss, what's going on. So I'm glad I could clear up all of that and talk about the good stuff too. I'm glad we ended it the way we did. I will be back. I will do a proper live chat next month. And in the meanwhile, I just want to get writing content again. Uh, if I can't write the stuff that I absolutely really, really, really want to write right now and move on with the big stuff, I at least want to be writing good stuff that I can feel good about. And I want to feel like I'm, I'm doing good for you all. This particular live chat uh, is going to be released to everybody. I'm not limiting it to just supporters. Um, and, and it'll go out as soon as I can get it, um, remastered. I haven't really even, I feel bad about this, but I haven't talked to, um, uh, oh my God. So the problem is I know him by his real human name and I have forgotten his online handle and I do not want to dox him. It's Cause in my mind, he's his name. And suddenly, Rattercrash. Rattercrash. I just found it. 
So I Ratter Crash, if you're listening, I did not forget your name. The problem is I remembered the wrong name because I remember you as the person you are and not the online handle. But um, I haven't actually spoken to Ratter Crash in a while. I've let a lot of that go too, and I feel bad about that. So we'll see what's going on there. But nonetheless, you know, recording will go live and then we're just going to move forward. It's going to be a little bit of a limp. It's going to be a bit of a slog. It's going to be a bit of a difficulty. But, you know, I, I'm not, I've never been the sort to roll over and die anyway. So I don't plan to start now. So everybody have a good night. Uh, have a good Thanksgiving holiday because I probably won't be doing a live chat before the Thanksgiving holiday. And thanks again for everything, everybody. And 